Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, neurotic hand-wringing author, erstwhile poet and hairy father of one small child. Today I'm recording just another of my writing rambles, for want of a better term. That's what this is now. Uh, they're not exactly freeform. I, I make a few notes to remind myself of the basic topics I want to cover, but I, I don't prep these ahead of time like I do my critique episodes or my workshop stuff. I, I, I realise it sounds like I'm kind of softening the blow, saying to you, I'm about to deliberately do a shit episode. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to give you my absolute best work. It's just a different style, and I feel, as I've said before, it's worth it's worth mentioning here be dragons before you kind of blunder in, th- blunder in thinking this is going to be a beautifully crisp, tight and a well-edited episode. It's not. It's just me chatting to you uh, in a free-form, loose, mildly erotic way. I-, I hope that makes the episodes, when I do them like this, a bit more authentic and considered. That's the plan, because... You'll hear me making connections as I'm talking about something. I'll sort of jump from one topic to another and go, ooh, and there's lots of parentheses I probably don't close. But it allows me to bounce between all these different subjects as they occur to me and a new thought can happen as I'm chatting to you. And that seems very first drafty, but I enjoy recording them like this. And from a recording point of view, it is mostly easier for me, although there is more editing involved and sometimes I realise I've strayed so far off topic that I have to start completely from the beginning. I've wasted entire afternoons like that and that's fine. I'm still learning the art of podcasting. But at the moment I'm I think I'm starting a novel. It, it feels like the beginning of one that I've been writing. Um, I d- who knows where it'll go. It, it, it might end in not in disaster no I'm going to talk about that actually and that kind of I know I've talked in previous episodes and a lot of this year is you know I'm developing my thinking as I talk to you and that's why I enjoy doing it because it's making me work out what I think and making me refine my thoughts and my understanding is growing by having to talk about these things and then you guys have sent me so absolutely I've got to say before I start the episode really just thank you so much for your engagement and your feedback and the messages I've been getting on Twitter the messages I've been getting via email via the contact me form on my uh, website timclairpire.co.uk I've never had this level of um, interaction before with so many people. I, the podcasters, you know, the audience for it has quadrupled and then, you know, it's even more than that now. We're getting so many more listeners uh, than we were sort of three, even three months ago. And it's wonderful. And it means I'm getting messages from people every day. And I'm really, really enjoying he- hearing from you. So thanks for being so engaged. If you haven't messaged me about the show yet, don't worry. I'm not accusing you of being a freeloader. Uh, it's just lovely to hear from the people who have. And I would love to hear from you if you haven't messaged me yet. Or even if you have and you want to say something else. I just think I'm very comfortable with the engagement. Yours it's such, it seems like such a nice people. I mean, mainly it has been people saying nice things. And I'm aware that if the uh, podcast only really has to bump up one more tier, you really know when you're hitting kind of real uh, patch of success when people start <laughs> sending you messages and emails telling you how shit your work is. That That's when you know you. That's when you know because then you're hitting people who feel a certain level of entitlement about what you're doing. And it's fine, actually. It's I welcome constructive criticism because I'd like to make the show better and I'm not so arrogant as to think that I I know everything about what I'm doing, Uh, certainly not within podcasting. So it's lovely to hear from you and please do feel free if there's something I'm doing badly or wrong or something I can do better or directions I can take, I would love to hear from you. However, I'm not expecting you to curate and edit the shows for me and I'll continue to do all that. So if you're like, well, God, Tim, that sounds like a lot of work. I'd like quite like my... uh, 
my podcast media to be just stuff that I can switch on and listen to when when I'm on my way to somewhere else or a bit tired or playing video games. I don't want to help you. I don't want to take on a pseudo unpaid production role in the show. Well, that's fine as well. I'm just saying that you're welcome to get in touch if you like you couldn't see because I mean, this is a um, purely oral medium, but I did a uh, weird thing with my hands then. Um, so anyway, look, that's where I am. And the, the, the point of me, my bringing all, all that up, close parentheses, is I'm focusing on just working on the manuscripts at the moment, as well as working on this new poetry show that I'm doing at the moment. And so because of that, uh, I, I'm, I've just got to manage my time around the podcast a little bit better. Now, it's important to me that I don't end up, you know, putting all my time into podcasting, apart from the fact I would go broke and lose my house. Uh, I think it's important for this to be an authentic podcast, for me to be writing all the time around the podcast, right? Because otherwise I'm kind of going to you and otherwise the gulf between what I'm telling you and how I live my life and what I do will grow ever wider until one day you'll switch on a new episode and the the title when you go to play it will just be like sorry all in block caps last episode and then it will just be 52 minutes of audio of me crying and saying I'm sorry I I lied to you I'm not what you think and then you'll never hear from me again the bits of this podcast that have felt best to me from the inside that have felt the most valuable that are things that I feel like I would have wanted the most are the moments especially with the guests we've had on as well where we've touched upon stuff about writing that isn't so easy the moments of unsurety I'm not sure that that's a real word uncertainty I guess would be a better word Uh, I really enjoyed having when we had Joe Dunthorne on the podcast and he talked about working through his latest novel The Adulterance for six years and there being points during that whole process and not just at you know at the beginning you know it's fine if you've been working on a novel a week and you go I'm not sure this is going to turn into a novel nobody freaks out then and goes fuck I don't know if my big project is going to work although you can sometimes sometimes if you've got like this idea and you think oh my god and you have this moment of waking up feeling like just god has come down and noshed you off in your sleep and you just wake up going I'm so full of ideas yes and and you and you're just you're absolutely convinced it sounds ludicrous but anyone I think who's written or most of us have had that moment where you get an idea and it feels like it's going to be fucking great and then you start writing it down and you immediately hit the gap between what was in your head and what comes out on the page what your fingers do what uh, words start appearing the gap between what you felt and what you're actually saying and what you're producing and and you go oh no oh no and that can feel awful even a week in that can feel awful it can it can be like having a religious experience and then realizing that god didn't visit you the neighbor has just painted a weird mural on the side of their house and you looked out your window in the morning and saw that mural and thought that jesus and the buddha and frodo wearing a pair of sunglasses had come to take you to heaven but it wasn't it was just a you know really photorealistic mural on the gable end of their house which would be cool and it means you've got a cool neighbor but it's, it can be disappointing right but I think it was really useful hearing Joe say he got three years into writing her novel and was like, I, maybe I've gone the wrong way. Maybe this doesn't work. And he made some major changes in, in the work as well. You know, he rejigged whole parts of the narrative. And I think it's really useful for writers to hear that. 
And now I'm reading a book at the moment by two guys called the, the book is called Art and Fear, an artist's survival guide by David Bales and Ted Orland. And it's fucking great. Really, really enjoying it at the moment. Sounds super wanky. And I was suspicious that it would be wanky because I've read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which is really pop. I think it's a kind of L.A. book. It's kind of screenwriters book mainly, but like it's been really popular amongst certain subset of writers and artists, visual artists, um, screenwriters, anyone in any kind of creative industry to read the, you know, The War of Art, where Stephen Pressfield, whose main credit is writing The Legend of Bag of Ants, made into arguably the worst movie with Will Smith, in, which is, I mean, if, do get in touch if you can think of a worse movie that Will Smith has been in than The Legend of Bag of Ants. But that is Stephen Pressfield's key artistic uh, contribution to the world and if it sounds like I'm being sort of mean to him I thought so too uh, a few people got in touch when I was uh, rude and uh, snide frankly about Stephen Pressfield and his book The War of Art on Twitter I was talking about how I don't like this idea he talks about you know the whole production of art using this war metaphor and it's a fucking good title for a book right the moving around the art of war by sung Tzu and and going the war of art it's a cool title the book is not cool it's a series of glib maxims it starts off all right and he's like talking about this idea that his basic thesis is this eternal struggle between art and resistance resistance with a big r when he talks about like how everything you want to do in your life is opposed by resistance and he starts he anthropomorphizes this force of resistance as this thing that will try and stop you writing will stop you from fulfilling your dreams will stop you from doing everything anything difficult will use fear will use procrastination will use trickery to stop you creating and your entire life is going to be a constant and tenacious struggle with resistance and every time you give in to resistance you are failing to achieve your spiritual goals that you were put on this earth to do and like at first like you know there's a couple of bits where he's quite funny about it and you know talks a bit about procrastination and makes some jokes and obviously you know he's not expecting you to take it all exactly literally but then he got on to, he gets on to stuff about saying generalized anxiety disorder was made up by advertisers and actually uh, mental illness is all just another form of resistance. It's a way of you stopping yourself from doing art. You know what, Stephen Pressfield? Go fuck yourself with a baguette. That's not true, you asshole. You complete asshole. Maybe you're making a joke. It's not a funny joke, you asshole. Mental illness is something that people, writers, it ruins lives. And it's not because they're fucking lazy. And it's not because some anthropomorphized satan the adversary kind of figure has gone i will stop you making art it's because that is not a helpful way of looking at it because what you're doing is you're adding guilt to it stephen pressfield fuck off like please become a nicer person that is a bad paradigm to start selling to people that your feelings of anxiety obviously i've got a dog in this fight that's and but there were other there's other stuff he puts in there about you know you resistances you bring home uh, a boyfriend with a criminal record to see your parents. Don't be so judgy, Stephen Pressfield. Resistance is uh, being promiscuous. Ah, oh, stop <laughs> slut-shaming people, Stephen Pressfield. Fuck you. Life is not about creating art. 
I'm sorry, it's not. That idea procrastination rests on a fundamental false dichotomy between what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, which is a completely arbitrary divide. This idea that here's your art and here's you achieving stuff, and that is the proper way to live a life. And here's other stuff like seeing friends or browsing the internet or watching TV or going for a walk or eating food or daydreaming. That's procrastination. You're not living your life when you do that. Nonsense. Nonsense. Life is the whole fucking snowball, right? It's not little pieces here and it's not part of your life. You are missing your life if you start pushing this notion that there's an authentic life that you lead when you write and there's an inauthentic life that you lead when you be a human being like every other fucker on the planet. Stop it. It will bind you up if you start feeling sad or tired. You'll go, oh, that's resistance. My old enemy is back. And I want to just suggest to you, as I've sort of said before, on this whole metaphor of art and artistic creation as a struggle, as a war, as a fight. That can be initially galvanising to think of it in those terms. I'll, I'll give you that. But in so many people, they'll say to me, and, you know, comments from people doing the Couch to 80K writing boot camp, which, you know, I frame as a challenge, a struggle, you know, a competition, a boot camp. I'm taking war metaphors there. I'm taking kind of martial imagery there. So I'm not saying it can't be galvanising. And that's why I gave the book a second go, actually, because I couldn't remember most of the content from the uh, the, the uh, War of Art. So I thought, well, maybe I'm being a dickhead. Maybe I'm going to go back and go, oh, actually, he's he's making a really good point here. And it's a really... Uh, it's a really exciting, you know, war cry that he's doing and this will boost people and it's not supposed to be the end of the conversation. He's just going, hey, let's fucking go for it. You can do this. Believe in yourself. And it's a fight to not give in to your fears. And and maybe it's a very positive book. I think he's in love with a metaphor that should have been an article. It should have been an article about uh, 1,500 words. Could have been a great fun article. Instead, it's a shit book. And this is the problem. The problem is this idea of thinking about everything as a struggle. And in Couch to 80K, I do appropriate some of those ideas, but I'm not saying that your self-worth should be, or your sense of how worthwhile your life has been, should be based off the back of that. And, you know, there's a lot of shaming of life's losers in his book, which I think is a, it's, it's an LA problem, isn't it? The kind of taking on of uh, lifestyle gurus and adopting those ideas that implicitly go well let's look at see the lives of some ceos to see how we can emulate them let's take to look at the lives of some of the most rich people in the world while kind of ignoring all the privilege that's got them into those places and uh, and use them as models for how to live our lives no like your life is you have everything you already need right you have everything you need i promise you there's no such force as resistance there's fear, of course there's fear. You know that because you felt it. There's doubt. All of those things that can be challenging and unpleasant, but they are part of you. And I, I was listening to a, uh, a Dharma talk by a, a Buddhist monk. I can't remember his name, I'm really sorry. But it was really interesting. He was talking about how... He was talking about panic attacks, actually. He had suffered from them himself for a long time. And he said the kind of big mistake people make with fear is to either treat it as their enemy, this demon that wants to get them and loathing it and producing anger and resentment and uh, opposition. And so they tighten up and try and fight it off. 
So the first mistake they make is, is, is treating fear as their enemy. And the second mistake they make is treating fear like their boss. So the fear says, don't do this thing. And they go, yes, sir. Absolutely. No, you're right. You're quite right. And don't, don't do it. So it's either treating it as an enemy or treating it as your boss. And I think that's, that's true of so many of our emotions. But the fear is part of your life and it's part of who you are as a human. And trying to fight a war for an entire artistic career. Think of any country that's uh, been engaged in a war for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. How does that tend to affect the people there and the happiness of the people there? I'm going to say to you, it has long-lasting dreadful consequences and that is going to be what happens to you if you only engage with your writing, your creative, your creativity as a war. As you try, if you try and follow this kind of way of the warrior, you will, you'll burn out. You could probably get through a novel doing that. You could probably get through a novel, maybe two. I think some people do with that idea that you're fighting. But you may win battles, but you'll lose the war. You'll get war weary and you will start taking on more and more, you know, to extend the metaphor, traumas from it. So be kind to yourself is what I'm saying. I'm, I'll talk a little bit more about art and fear in a second. I just want to kind of wind back to what I was originally going to start off with. Lots of you have been in touch, as I say, and my doing this this way and sort of just chatting to you about what my writing week's been like in this ramble is partially a response to what several of you have said to me in emails and over Twitter, you know, saying, Tim, it'd be really good to hear how you do this because you're always taking other people's first pages and, and, and saying what they should do better, which is easy, uh, or giving us workshop ideas or talking with other authors but it'd be really good to hear like how are you what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis with your writing how are you managing your time and how, how does your work come together um, and what does your writing week look like and it's not because I'm some shining ideal of what an author should be I've published so far one novel length work of fiction one memoir and one book of poetry right so and none of those have been considered perfect but is but that's useful right we're all in this together right we're all we're peers and that's a genuine sense that I have is that this is not supposed to be I'm never ever trying to give you like a master class I'm trying to talk to you about process and I'm trying to talk to you as a peer and as someone who is, is facing a lot of the same struggles that you do every day there's this idea that writers get to a certain point and then they pass into this kind of writing Valhalla where there's no longer a, a randomness to the process there's no longer uncertainty and the writing ideas just kind of slide out without effort I believe that about a lot of professional writers I still do when I'm feeling resentful when I'm feeling scared about my own work when I'm looking at writers who have done very well and have bestsellers and can pretty much guaranteed to sell whatever they write next I think well it must be fucking easy for you you just sit down and it just kind of flows out or I kind of think well they're just a hack they're obviously just pushing out different tropes and different ideas that they've worked out their little system and it must be easy for them I guess there must be some people who, who are you know less neurotic about it but I don't think it is always absolutely straightforward for everyone who writes even people who overproduce who are able to write who are crazily prolific who write words and words and words every day who, who just absolutely hammer out stuff I still don't think it's straightforward and that is a lot of effort what they're doing as well they're really going for it and they're and, and and some of that work works and some of it doesn't so look what I'm saying is I want this podcast to help you in your writing life to be of real practical value to you and to help you with every aspect of the process technical psychological professional of course I'm going to pursue topics that interest me of course I'm going to chase down guests who I'm 
personally invested in speaking to, even though it dilutes my brand. That's what people have been saying. Oh, you know, you shouldn't have to, too many guests on a advice podcast because it will dilute your brand, Tim. You want it to be about you. You want it to be about you, and then people have to buy your book, which is a lovely. It's lovely that they think that this is uh, me. My doing this podcast is this calculated attempt to broaden my brand and to make Tim Clare the go-to person for creative writing advice. Is not. It's because writing's lonely and. The best thing I can do is speak to you. I'm doing this because I find it rewarding and useful. That's the honest truth. I found it so helpful doing these podcasts, speaking to other writers, you know, having interactions with you guys, doing the workshops, having chats like this. It's refined my thinking. It's made me feel less unhappy. Been really, really happy the last uh, week or so. And uh, but your feedback is really welcome. If you've got things you think I can do better, that's fine. So let's go on to where I am with my writing this week. I guess if if we think I'm fulfilling the ramble part of the brief so far. Sorry, I was going to do all this in a different order, but it just just kind of occurred to me in that way. This week I'm waiting on a a, a big decision regarding the novel I've just written and revised and sent in. It's um. I guess it's either going to be published or it's not. And that is, I don't think I thought I was that stressed about it. And then when I thought, but when I told people what was going on and what I was waiting for, they were like, God, that sounds a bit stressful too. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it probably is in the background. I wasn't experiencing it as stress, but I think other things I felt disproportionately stressed about were probably riding on that. And that's what writing is sometimes. You kind of send your work off and it, you can be very calm about it until you actually think about fuck what if what if this doesn't get picked up so i'm gonna find out you know either my work's gonna be picked up and that's gonna be lovely and and, you know and then you guys will be able to read it or it's not that's just the the way it is but it's horrible if you just let that be the only thing that's going on in your life that's the the difficulty is if you just kind of like sit waiting for your email inbox to ping then you will feel dreadfully dreadfully stressed so i've been following my own advice that i that i give you i've been writing almost every day of the year since uh, since 2018 started uh, i've been writing sort of daily i've done some free writes and then i had some ideas for sort of areas i thought i wanted to write in so i started doing some some voice work you know writing a few scenes in the first person it was really interesting actually chatting to D- joe dunthorne about when he talked about how he sort of develops a voice it gets a kind of match fitness with a voice where you just practice it and practice it and practice it until it becomes almost automatic. Certainly it becomes a bit more intuitive and natural to write in that voice. And so I've just been trying different voices. And I felt actually like a lot of it wasn't working. And then this is the kicker. Last week, I actually flicked back through my, I'm writing longhand for the first time in ages. Again, that was another piece of advice I gave on Couch to 80K that I thought, well, I'm going to be a real hypocrite if I don't follow this myself. And also I wanted to follow it myself to check that it was good advice. Admittedly, I gave the advice slightly in advance of doing it myself. But then I was like, well, I want to check this out because if it turns out to be bollocks, at least I can feed back to you and go, mea culpa, I was wrong. I was kind of lying because it seemed like a romantic thing to write in a journal. But I'm doing it longhand. And I I flicked back through some of my kind of sketches, my early scenes that I've put in there. And I, I was surprised to find there were bits I liked. And I was like, holy fucking shit. What? What? That never happens. And it was just a really, really positive writing moment, of which we get precious few, my friends. 
where I realised that what I was doing, this uncertain process, was sort of like stumbling my way forward, trying different things, waiting for happy accidents, waiting to see whether something to, uh, was working. Was working for better or worse. I had, you know, I had written a lot of scenes that I think had kind of read like shit and the reason I went back was because I tried writing I tried to write the opening of this novel that I've got as I had some ideas for um and I just felt like the voice was wrong it seemed a bit it seemed a bit shit if I'm honest <laughs> it seemed a bit shit and I was like this is I was like this is fucking crap I'm scrolling down now to see yeah I mean shall I read you some I, I want to read you like a couple of sentences just to give you an idea. People have said for ages, or oh, Tim, could you do one of your own scenes as a that you're working on, like a first draft? Could you put it through the Death of a Thousand Cuts experience so we can hear how you work on your own work? And I've thought well, that seems like a little bit self-indulgent. Seems a lot self-indulgent, actually. And partly, I, I think I felt very vulnerable, which is hugely hypocritical, right? That I'm happy for you guys to come on here and put your work up. And then I go, nope, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> hey, you're a wanker. I'd never say you're a wanker. No one who's submitted to the um, show has been a, a wanker. And a lot of the work's been really good. And we can all write bad scenes, including me. But it seemed self-important to include my own work on it. And maybe it is. Let me know if it is. But I just I just want to read you because I, I felt like the voice was wrong. And maybe this is helpful to you to hear what I thought about it. But his, this is the second sentence into the novel. We played in a walled garden in the shadow of the keep with heavy, twisted tarsap trees you could sit in and a stream that ran from a grill in the northern wall through a series of weirs and 90-degree turns down to a hemispherical pond bordered with pebbles of smooth red glass. Relly, Jasnit and I would race paper boats from the grill down to the pool. The trick was getting them to survive the weirs where the boat would be sucked up over a stone lip then drop several feet into the frothing cataract below. After a while, we found it was more fun to collaborate on a single larger boat. Right, I'm just going to stop there. Like, it's not it's not dire. If someone read that out in a workshop, I, I, I wouldn't snatch up a, a piece of lead piping and thrash them to within an inch of their worthless life. I, I just think it's... This is the opening of a fucking novel, right? There's got to be something. Why would... They, there are loads of novels in the world. Why would we read this one? We played in a walled garden in the shadow of the keep. I mean, like, listen to how many inner, in the, of the. In sort of like 10 words, there are... Maybe it's 11 words, but there's like six of those ugly grammatical words. Inner, in the, of the. I guess those are prepositions? Possibly. But they're, you know, they're like ugly bits of grammatical cartilage that are explaining the relationship of, of one bunch of verbs and nouns and adjectives to another cluster. And as soon as those start to build up in a sentence, then one, it's hard for the reader to keep these different relationships in their head, you know, how these different things relate to one another. And two, there's just a load of the sentence that isn't the world, but is screws and gaffer tape. And, and it just makes the sentence bogged down. With heavy, twisted tarsap trees, you could sit in. Well, immediately we switched, then we got we. And then we switched to the second person, you could sit in. We're also not in uh, any narrative present at the moment, right? We played in a walled garden in the shadow keep with heavy, twisted tarsap trees you could sit in. So we're just saying, oh, these are some things that you could do in a general sense. And this is a habitual time. 
not good. Not an arresting way to start a novel in habitual time. Hey, let me just tell you some sort of like, let me just set up the general scene of what like a routinized life was for us. And of course, as, as a writer, you, you're, you're setting it up because you're going to go, and here's a day the routine changed. But fuck off. Give us actual drama. Don't give us the notes for that drama. That ran from a grill in the northern wall through a series of weirs and 90 degree turns down to a hemispherical pond bordered with pebbles of smooth red glass. Now, I like smooth red glass. That as a flow, but through a series of weirs and 90 degree turns from a grill in the northern wall. All of that is just, that's fucking dull as balls. And look, the sentence does mirror this ugly, possibly impossible stream moving through the garden. But, you know, my main question at this stage is who gives a fuck about the layout of a stream in a garden who is having this experience and why why should we give a hot shit and that's not me being mean about it i'm just it's just there's no re and, and like those words are so unevocative 90 degree turns hemispherical pond what it's like a maths problem it's so boring and it's accurate but not in a way that anyone's head can hold do you have a clear from those two sentences do you have a clear view of what this garden looks like i don't and i fucking wrote it right relly jasnet and i so we get some names there i know it's difficult to convey in audio relly jasnet and i would race paper boats from the grill so again this isn't a scene that's happening it's not like i set my paper boat in the stream licked my lips and let it go I mean, that's the sentence I'm just making up off the top of my head, but at least that has something happening in the in the narrative now. This is, we, Relly, Jasnit and I would race paper boats from the grill down to the pool. So we did this loads of days. Oh, this is fucking normal for us. And here's just some stuff we did. We raced boats. The trick was getting them to survive the weirs. After a while, we found it was more fun to collaborate on a single larger boat. Collaborate? What an ugly word. That is just like a massive dog poo landing in the middle of a... And, and this is... I just was reading it going, I just don't... I don't want to read a book told by this narrator. It sounds like a fucking Christmas round robin letter. This year, uh, Jason has been learning to unicycle. He got quite good. And in July, he went to cologne to take part in a circus skills symposium with representatives from over 30 different countries including jugglers i mean i'm sure that that was a very colorful scene that jason was there but you've rendered it boring and this is exactly the same thing the whole thing about having a first person narrative right the the, the whole selling point of a first person narrative is you're having a story told to you by someone who you want to listen to. It's a real opportunity to have a voice of a character with an opinion who we care about, who can lead us through the story. There's so much opportunity there. And if you give us a... And you can do interesting things with a narrator who doesn't focus on, a quote-unquote, the right things. You know, a, a narrator who's a bit of a fuddy-duddy, a bit boring. But this is not that. This is just god awful and and i hit that moment and, and the reason I, I bring it up is because i start i i i like you know i liked the setting 
I was interested in some of the things that happen in the... I wrote about 4,200 words of a scene. And, you know, there was you know a bit more excitement later on when this completely hypothetical reader w- would have put the book, book down and fucked off to read something uh, better edited. But I, I was so gutted that this world that I'd, I was, you know, having a crack at had come out shit. And it is. It's shit. It's rubbish. I'm not a shit person. I'm a lovely man. I deserve I deserve chocolate biscuits and pats on the head and, and friends to be nice to me. But that doesn't... And I, and I put a lot... And I care about this world and I like the characters. Doesn't make that first scene any good. And that's fine. Uh, that's what I want you to take away from this, actually, is that is fine. And I should have had more faith. So I started reading this book, Art and Fear, and um, it, I really like it. It's actually not wanky, very practical. I'm going to put a... I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, and incidentally, I've started using all my lib book links. I started being quite fastidious with them and linking through to wordery.com just because I've set up a uh, an affiliate account. So, like, if you buy a book like this, I get, like, about 69p not always 69p that's not like a weird erotic joke that they've put into their affiliate program i i get you know approximately that much if you buy a book through one of our links wordery isn't amazon that's their main thing if you can buy your stuff through your local bookshop order it through your local bookshop and do that but if for some reason you can't be asked or you don't have a local bookshop uh, wordery a really convenient and super cheap online store and if you use the affiliate links that i set up on my website or through in the show notes then i get a little kickback and it's a great way for you to support the show while just getting books that you'd get anyway i i I think that i think this book has been really really useful to me reading it i'm only about halfway through and so far it's been it's just articulated stuff that i think i already knew we all know this but you just hearing it and put so well and so clearly it helps focus it in your mind and just remind you and it's good to just hear someone who's not you saying it making art provides uncomfortably accurate feedback about the gap that inevitably exists between what you intended to do and what you did in fact if art making did not tell you the maker so enormously much about yourself then making art that matters to you would be impossible To all viewers but yourself, what matters is the product, the finished artwork. To you and you alone, what matters is the process, the experience of shaping that artwork. Very, very, very true. And the process does matter to me. And your process of you working through your book will matter to you. But readers, quite reasonably, do not give a shit about how many drafts you went through or whether it just kind of flowed out of you like a ghost poo. They just care about the book being good. And this is the thing. And it is so important for you to realise that there'll be accidents there'll be random stuff that just kind of like falls together you'll write a scene and it will go badly and the next day you'll have a go and for no particular reason your head will be in a better space and the scene will come out better there'll be meanings in it that people find that you didn't intend to put there and it's very easy after a while to start feeling like a fraud because you think maybe other artists know what they're doing i'm telling you now and and you know read my work and you can judge and if you think well actually tim you know your work does read like someone who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing that's fine but for what it's worth uh, just as a data point I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. It's a guess a lot of the time. I, I've got these things about, you know, I think about the craft a lot and I think about my materials, the words that I use and grammar, this kind of like deep structure of language and plot, which has its own structures and it has its own cultural 
resonances and cultural expectations. I think about them a lot. I think about character and drama and emotions and being in the world and how things work. Those are all parts of my materials, my the words and the knowledge. But the actual process of making a story out of it is partly intuitive and partly just down to trial and error. And each novel that I attempt, each short story that I attempt, each poem I attempt, by the very nature of it not being the last thing that I wrote, it not being previous stuff that I've already done, it not being areas that I've already finished on, has its own new set of challenges, its own new set of questions that it poses. Not that I expect readers to care about that, not that I expect my agent or my editor to care about that, not that I expect anyone else in the world apart from me to care about that, but that the, the truth of it is that every time I try to write a new project or get to a new chapter on a project, a continuing project, I have to learn something new and I'm put in a situation where I'm like, I don't want, I've not been here before. And if you don't believe that other artists, other writers, other authors go through this process, you are going to have a very bum time. And if you put out a novel and you forget the randomness of how it came together, when you write a second one, you're going to have a very bum time because you're going to look at it and you're going to go, oh, I've, I've lost it. And if people start praising your work, and calling you a master storyteller, saying you know, saying how expertly you've plotted a scene, talking about the resonant themes in your work, and you just go, I guess you've spotted stuff that I didn't consciously put in there. You'll start to feel like a fraud. People have said stuff about the honours that, you know, said stuff about characters, stuff about theme, that I never consciously put in there at all. But I consciously believed in the characters. They were real people to me. And they did stuff that felt like stuff that that person wanted to do. But that's the, that's the exciting thing about making art. There's a gap between what you meant to say and what you actually say. And often the thing that you say is a really important piece of feedback for you. As an artist, that's where you grow. You go, fuck, I, I think different things to what I meant to say. And that's why I'm actually very proud of the honours because it's not a piece of didactic art that just you know it's not a piece of agitprop where me and my table thumping lefty uh, ideas about how the world should be are just translated into a into a piece of work that just sort of tells people off for not thinking the same way as me or pats them on the back for see for it's not something that skews the entire world around my personal ideology there are countervailing voices in it delphine in the honors is she's really what right wing and she's racist and she's violent I don't agree with any of that. I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's a nice thing to do. And she has qualities, of course, as well. But I think your work, the exciting thing is you not knowing what the fuck you're doing. And the exciting thing is your work throwing up stuff that you didn't really know you were making. And that doesn't make you a fraud and that isn't bullshitting. And that's what I want to sort of get across very clearly. I've rewritten my openings. So I'm sort of starting at a different point now. And I'm much happier with the voice that I'm coming up with. And I won't go any into it anymore because I wanted to ask you, you know, if you think it would be useful for, you, for me to kind of do a couple of these work in progress chats where I talk about a scene I'm working on and what I think's working with it, what I think isn't working with it. If that's helpful to you, then I'll do it. They won't replace me looking at your work. I still want to do that. That's, I think, the bread and butter of this podcast. But if it's helpful for you to hear how I'm dealing with these things, let me know. I'm going to say, like, if 10 of you 
get in touch and say, yeah, Tim, do that. Then I'll record a couple more where I specifically, rather than just floating all around the subject, I'll actually go into a couple of scenes in reasonable depth to talk and, and use it as a jumping off point for stuff that you can apply to your own work. But just so you can see my process and how I'm going from, at the moment, not really having any novel at all, having a few notes about 5,000 words of draft, different drafts of the same thing, but about 5,000 words. I'm looking to make this novel... It'd be lovely if I could make a little prompt business-like 75,000 word novel. That'd be lush. If it's helpful to you, get in touch. If 10 of you or more get in touch and say you'd like to hear hear that, then I will do a couple more episodes. Oh yeah, and this week I... Last week I, I did some writing online with... A friend, in fact, some of you may have been on Twitter, may have seen me posting it, but I uh, have been doing writing sessions at home, but checking in with friends on Facebook Messenger and just saying, oh, are you ready to write? Cool, let's go. Do an hour. And then at the end, of, at the top of the hour, we just like check back in and go, how did it go for you? Cool, brilliant. Okay, I'm going to go and make a cup of tea now. I'll see you back here in 10 minutes if you want to write. I found that very, very minor communal aspect uh, to writing really helpful really helpful at getting me through bits of writing anxiety really helpful at sort of keeping me accountable very low pressure and it allowed me to write and write i really recommend it get a writing buddy or two hook up with them find a time where you can both mutually write and you know use something like whatsapp or facebook messenger and just get in touch with each other go are you ready cool and then write for an hour or what or, you know, for a whole day, but have put breaks in. And I find that really, really useful at getting through writer's... Well, not writer's block, but just kind of like fear and procrastination and all of those things. Oh, I'll, I'll have a look at the... A couple of you sent me some messages on Twitter about what stuff you'd like me to cover uh, in this or future episodes. Tom Kirrelly says, uh, I'd really like to hear you talk about writing poetry, anything from the craft, e.g. how to edit poetry, to publishing, to performance. I realise that's not the main focus of the podcast, but I cannot imagine it being a dull listen. Well, thanks for a great podcast, he says at the end. Thank you very much, Tom. Um, I think as a writer, you should always be looking to expand to your uh, imaginative chops. And uh, if your imagination cannot imagine me being boring, then I have some bad news for you. I'm quite capable of being boring. No, that's very kind, but I think your uh, low entertainment threshold will be the ruin of the modern world i may get a poet on the show but i think if i do it i will focus on how to nick techniques from poetry to use them in our fiction i don't want to expand the remit of the show too far i love poetry i don't have that much to say about editing poetry actually i you know i obviously edit my own poems but i, I don't feel very confident talking about it but if i can you know if there's some things about metaphor and um, imagery and stuff like that that i can apply to fiction i may do an episode on that that's a really good idea thank you uh fiona johnson says uh, how about dialogue i remember struggling to try and integrate it with action surrounding prose when i first tried it and i'm wondering why it never occurred to me that i need to think about how to do that can be tricky yes it can i will do an episode on dialogue that sounds like a really good idea possibly with a guest it'd be great if i could get a screenwriter on who could maybe chat a bit about dialogue but otherwise i'll just prep for it and look at a couple of scenes where i think i've got good dialogue in from books and we can talk about that i can certainly tell you my thoughts about it and i think it's really i mean there's so how many times have you gone oh, i'm really stuck on this scene how do i do this fucking dialogue how to describe this building and then you realize you, you've got like a shelf full of books in front of you and you, you just sometimes need to think about it by picking up novels in front of you and going how how does this novel handle that 
Like, how does this novel handle the problem of dialogue and action? But will, yeah, well, let's do an episode on it. I'll do it properly. It's a really good. It's a really good thing for us to focus on. Quite a few of you have said, "Can we do an episode on editing?" I was under the impression that this was an editing podcast and every episode was about editing, but obviously I haven't gotten to it in enough detail. So yes, of course, I shall. Um, I'll do What I'll do is I'll do an episode with a general kind of like editing, self-editing hygiene episode with just some tips for running over your work and making sure that it kind of sparkles. So it'd be more of a kind of proofreading e spit and polish edit thing than kind of like a deep structural edit but i can do a seven principles so whenever you've got your novel in front of you and you just want to make a chapter better i can just give you a couple of subroutines you can run on it that you'll always be able to just work on that scene and make it a bit better if you they're not really tips because i think tips are too vague but like specific practical tests to seven tests to apply to each sentence each paragraph each chapter and things and how to fix problems if the the, that sentence or chapter fails that i think that's a really good idea it's my idea that's why i think it's good helen anderson says um my current mini obsession is how writers convey fictional worlds especially sf fantasy ones to the reader so show stroke tell balance and how and when to drop in bits of information naturally that kind of thing do that Um, great idea we started touching on world building with the uh, episode where i interview nate crowley Uh, so if you haven't listened to that i recommend that as a starting point but yes let's do one on show versus tell and about genre fiction because i love genre fiction and i think it's useful for literary fiction writers as well because there's always information you have to convey right there's always information and backstory about where a character's from and what they care about it's just that the skeleton is on the outside in science fiction and fantasy because there's whole bits of the world you don't understand i'd love to talk about that i'll go away and prep that and we can talk about it and I'll try and get some good examples of where I think it works well. Although there's always, with all of these rules, there's always examples where they're broken usefully. You just have to be aware of the cost of breaking stuff. That is not to say that you can just do whatever the fuck you like. And my main concern is whenever I say, oh, you people will just say shit to me like, oh, you just you have to. Well, you have to know the rules before you can break them. And then they kind of like tap the side of their nose and look at me knowingly. And I'm just like, no, what? Hey, there's not, it doesn't work with most rules, right? You have to, you don't have to know the rules before you can break them, right? That's not true. For a start, you can just break the rules by being ignorant of them and fucking up. Any twat can break the rules of music just mashing their face against a keyboard. Oh, look, I've broken the boundaries of like m- melodic composition. No, you, you haven't. You just don't know what you're doing. What I mean is, you have to know the rules to break them well. Well, no, you don't. You just have to. You just have to have a purpose behind everything. And some novels do exposition and history of a world really well. I fucking love that. I have a. I have a massive stunk on for footnotes in books. I love them. So many people hate them. It's fine. They're probably, I'd say, broadly overall, more people dislike footnotes than like them it's fine you're allowed to do whatever you the fuck you want when you write but we can talk about it it's a big subject so i won't get off track too much now but that's that's really useful cool okay so i think that's uh me just about done i'm gonna try and go back and edit some of the nonsense out of today's episode so at least what the horrible thing is like what you're listening to is the uh 
edited highlights of what I've talked about today. But thank you for sticking with me. I've learned a lot by just uh, chatting to you. And those are some of the episodes that are going to be coming up. And I'm going to be recording some more interviews as well. I've got a bunch lined up. I'm also in talks with other people to try and set up times where I can talk to them. So it's all very exciting from my end. And don't worry that I'll keep pushing them out. So finally, just to say thank you very much for supporting the podcast. There's three main things you can do to support the podcast. Firstly, uh, buy my book, The Honours. There'll be a link to it in the show notes and on my website it's a really good fantasy historical novel i think you'd enjoy it if you click through my website to buy it from wordery then as i said before i get a little bit of a kickback from the affiliate link as well as uh, benefiting from your buying my book also you can go um click uh, the link on my website that in the right hand column there's a link that says buy me a coffee if you click on that button then you will go to a page where you can uh, you can just chuck me a couple of bucks if you like the show and that just could be used for hosting costs and for my website costs it just helps me keep the lights on while i do this i really enjoy doing it don't owe me anything for for listening to it obviously but it will really help and thank you thank you thank you so much to those of you who've generously donated people donating stuff like before they start the couch to 80k course saying i'm really excited about doing this here's some here's some dollar um, thank you that's really nice of you and I just hope you really enjoy the course thanks it all helps and it's hugely heartening and the messages that come with them of support and just hearing your stories about writing stuff hey you know what I'd love to do I'd love to do and I won't I'll put a shout out for this on Twitter and stuff as well because if I just bury it at the end of the episode then nobody will submit but I'd love to do an episode of or at least part of an episode of like reading out some of your work not in a critical format but just you sending me your favorite paragraph or your favorite even sentence of something that you've worked on maybe something you've come up with in the couch to 80k writing boot camp maybe something on a work in progress that you were particularly happy with or that surprised you or was funny or whatever you don't have to be sending it to me saying this is the best sentence that's ever been written but i would love just something that made you feel pleased right that did what you wanted it to or did not what you expected it to but that was exciting or, or made you laugh or you know a sentence two sentences a paragraph some like i'd love to read out just like a bunch of listener snippets really tiny just so we can celebrate your work i think it'd be cool and it'd be really useful for everyone else to just hear a bunch of other writers voices the final thing you can do is just share the podcast share it share it share it on social media you know what that is on if you've got a blog and go on itunes and go on uh, soundcloud and 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 rate and review it would be lovely if we could get a few more itunes uh, ratings and a couple of text reviews as well it just it bumps us up the algorithm it makes it easier for people to find us i know it's a kind of grind hearing everyone going oh you please review it but like you can actually just give it whatever you honestly think whether the rating is one star or five stars in a matter of seconds if you've got itunes on your computer and then if you just do a little text review explaining that you don't have to do that but if you do that then all the better that's it from me take care i'll be back probably later in the week with a, another episode probably an editing episode thanks for sticking around and i hope your writing goes super well <laughs>